0: From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast.
1: All right. Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast. So coming up in just a minute, wonderful conversation that was had at this year's Indie 101 online music conference. It's all about DIY financing for your music project as an independent artist we got a trio of successful indie artists who are sharing what they've learned about securing funding through grants, sponsors, online streaming platforms, and elsewhere for their music careers. Who you'll be hearing from includes Brian Buchanan uh, from the band Enter the Haggis, Julian Taylor, a very successful solo artist and leader of the Julian Taylor group here in Canada. I love Julian personally, and uh, as well as Adam Ezra from the Adam Ezra group. And of course, the host and moderator for this conversation was Indie Week founder Daryl Hers. I know for the artists in our audience, as well as their managers and others, this is a very valuable conversation, so we're uh, happy to share it here. But before we get to this week's conversation, we first have to acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinaabe, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. We must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, the City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox and Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlanta, Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work that we do for the music community. So a big, big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, let's get to this week's conversation.
0: So this session though, man, everybody asks how do i get everything for free and uh often it's because it's really difficult as an artist to make money and i get that and it's it's hard to get started and and hard to turn it around so that you you know it's coming in uh so we're going to talk about diy financing uh we've got artists here that i've known some for quite some time and i i've seen the growth i've seen seen the success and i'm really excited about it and uh Adam, we've had actually talked, I believe it was last year we had a chat uh, about how you've been able to make some money. So first off, I'm gonna go around the room and I'm just doing in the order that it, I see on my screen. Uh, if everybody could just give a little bit about
2: themselves, a little bit about their background. So Adam, you're in the hot seat. Uh, you can go first. <laughs> um, hi everybody, it's really nice to be here. My name is Adam Ezra, I play in a band called adam ezra group from boston massachusetts i've been playing music for about 20 years now uh and uh we are an underground indie acoustic americana band uh more often on the road than we are home these days
0: awesome and you can hear that that adam's got that voice man adam's got the voice uh why thank you there you go uh Awesome. And uh, next up, we've got Brian from Enter the Haggis, who uh, I I tried booking uh, a while ago in Toronto for St. Paddy's Day. Uh, So, Brian, uh, if you can give a little bit about yourself and background.
3: Um, I am Brian Buchanan. I play fiddle and sing and play guitar and keyboards and stuff in a band called Enter the Haggis, which formed in Toronto uh, two decades ago. I've been playing with the band for 22 years, believe it or not. and uh, I also play in a band with my wife called House of Hamel. And that's been going for about eight years now, incredibly. Um, and so between the two bands, like Adam, I'm definitely away more than I'm home. Touring is still definitely the number one ma- way to make a living as a musician. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very excited to be here and chat with you guys, too. We've been, uh, we've made every mistake you can make, probably, uh, ads. <laughs> uh an independent band so uh i hope to help people learn from some of those mistakes
0: awesome thank you so much and i remember uh when i first heard about you guys i was like what's a haggis and had to search (laughs) search (laughs) haggis so if you don't know a haggis google it uh (laughs) julia taylor's next and Juliet i've known for a number of years and i gotta say uh i am so proud what Julian's been up to and doing and I uh, keep running him in, into running into Julian at showcases at various conferences all over the place uh so Julian uh give a little bit of your background and uh your story
4: sure I have uh been playing music professionally uh since 1997 so I don't know how many years that is it's over 20 it's close to 20 it's in between 20 and 25. I used to have a rock and roll band called uh staggered crossing which was uh, around for about uh 14 years before we imploded um i um started my own band called the julian taylor band and uh now i'm just on my own since the pandemic and it was kind of a an interesting sort of segue to my solo career because it was necessary and um yeah i mean i've done everything i think that i possibly do in the music industry uh, from being a a label owner like an independent label owner my own manager for the last two decades um i've been a booking agent um certainly a radio tracker i've been yeah anything a producer i I can't think of anything that i haven't been so if anybody can come up with something and stump me that would be awesome and uh, (laughs) i've uh, known uh, for a very long time it's always good to run into you and
0: Certainly, all of the accolades have been to the Haggis for a long time as well. So, awesome. And you were a signed artist as well. Oh right?
4: yeah, I was signed to a major label at one point.
0: Yeah,
4: for like a yeah. year. So, like so most, this like, is the most thing most to frame people. it is
0: you've seen full circle from getting signed to being independent, and and you've seen complete full circle. Uh, yeah, the, this thing keeps changing. It keeps changing every day. Every day. All right. Uh, so. We're going to go around the room and I'm going to ask questions, everybody in the audience, you know, the drill, but if you don't, or if this is like you haven't been to the previous sessions, Q&A section on Whova is where to put the questions, chat, have an ongoing discussion while we're talking, and I'm going to do my best to moderate and keep it all level and, and such. So I want to start first, because here's the thing, I think that everybody's like, how do I do this? Okay, somebody please show me that blueprint. Is there a blueprint? Is there like, hey, this is do this, this works 100%. No, I I, I don't think that blueprint exists. There's frameworks about it. But I think everybody has their own story. So I kind of want to hear a little bit more in depth with everybody. So Adam, uh, we talked last year, because you've got a really cool story around COVID. Like, uh, how did you take that and turn it into a positive? Especially in like, man, I'm an artist. I gotta still survive. I gotta make some 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 money to support here. Uh, so maybe let's start there and talk about what worked for you, um, and you can precursor,
2: like what was working before. So uh, sure, uh, I'd, I'd be I'd be happy to, Daryl. Um, uh, and I should also say, God, I wish there was a blueprint out there. God, I wish for that every every single day and uh and you know and i'm i know i'm i'm sure i'm speaking for julian and brian too where uh artists like us are constantly throwing paint against the canvas and just trying things and if one out of five of those things yields some positive results uh that is a great thing it's one of the reasons why uh why Indie 101 is so great because it just allows allows us as artists to talk to one another about what's working and what's not. And, and it won't always work. What works for somebody won't work for everybody, um, because we're all different artists. Um, but uh, but it's it's great. These creative ideas and and ideas are what fuels the indie music world, I believe. Um uh, when COVID started, we were playing, uh, I was playing about 230 shows a year uh, on the road. I had just come back from a, uh, and I am an underground indie indie artist. Most of the time I'm touring with my band, but I just come off two months and about 60 shows. If you're doing the math, that means some doubleheaders some days too. Um, um of of house concerts i was just about to start up with with my band touring in the spring and uh and covid hit and the world stopped um and uh i ended up the first night i canceled tour i ended up live streaming uh and uh and, and it was may uh march 13th i believe uh less with the idea that this was I was going to pivot my business strategy and uh, and I was going to find an alternative method of bringing in income Mm -hmm. and more so because central to my mission as an artist is to just build and nurture this amazing community of human beings that listen to our music and connect to me. And so it was really just more of an effort to feel a little less alone it was about a week before all of the live streaming started like really blowing up and I just spent an hour talking about being home on a Friday night and feeling a little scared and nervous and I played some songs but it was as much about connecting with people as it was about actually showing my face or performing and uh, and my fans joined a, a, Ton of them joined. Uh, and, uh, and at the end of it, I, I was, I said, oh, man, this was really cool. I'll tell you what, I'll come back tomorrow if you come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And the next night I came back and hundreds more joined. And the next night, hundreds more, we start calling it the gathering series. And we ended up gathering at 7pm Eastern Standard Time every single night for 500 nights in a yeah. row. Uh, which was an incredible creative challenge. It was an incredible uh, kind of uh, uh, reality show of sorts, uh, it turned into, Uh, but mostly it was a way to find grounding and comfort during a time when we were all so isolated. I did not do it with the intention of creating an alternative income stream. But uh, uh, but fans found ways to donate to the gathering series, and it ended up uh, it it just ended up being a wonderful strengthening tool for our for our community. We are now really seeing the results of that. Now that we're back on tour, Um, uh, and uh, and people are starting to really come back to the clubs again, and uh, and it's wonderful to see this community galvanized by that experience we shared.
0: Now, now you're finding that. Did you feel your fan base actually grew during that time? Like, were were people inviting other people to it? Were other people finding out about it?
2: I mean, for a while, it was bananas, Daryl. It was banana. We were, yeah. I mean, the the series ended up reaching millions of people throughout the course of those of those 500 days. People were sharing. People were. We're just we're hanging, and like this, it was as much about the chat board as it was about watching a performance. It was just about people connecting, and uh, I didn't know if it was going to translate uh, uh, to to a massive surge in in in, in fan growth. But um, uh, and and for a while, and I don't know how many of y'all are out playing shows a lot, but you know, for a while. Uh, after COVID and maybe still a lot of uh, a lot of artists and venues feel that ticket sales it's harder it's been it's been people are more hesitant to come out and uh, and for a while when we came back I wasn't sure if the growth had happened because we were playing venues that we would played before and ticket sales were maybe a little down maybe they were a little even maybe they're a little up but it did not feel like oh we've just reached millions of people like now it's game on it wasn't until this year that we are starting to really experience that that growth that momentum we're seeing more and more fans every single night live at our shows coming out connecting and i get people coming up to me every single night saying you know i really thank you for the gathering series that really helped me get through COVID and I always respond now that worked both ways y'all helped me get through COVID and uh and so it's it's an exciting time for us now
0: wow that's amazing like uh we we did the same like we would do indie weekly every Tuesday that's a plug yeah but the thing was is like we were locked down what do you do what do you do and sometimes you just do stuff without the whole plan and like expectation, the charts, the spreadsheets, and you just go, I'm hitting live right now, what happens? Uh, is that kind of how, how that felt with you? Like, hey, I'm just doing this and here we go.
2: I think, yeah, I, I think it's very, it's been central for me the, the, uh, to, 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 to be thinking less about, right? How, with with this or any other project that we're involved in thinking the priority has is not how do we make money on something okay let's do it right uh it's always been how do we find creative ways to connect let's do that and maybe it will maybe it will increase our growth or increase our revenue as a business but Either way, it's going to strengthen the community that surrounds our music. And as an indie artist, uh, and I'm sure Brian and Julian can speak to this as well. Uh, your fan community—that's your extended family, and that's your that's your entire world. And they and if and if you connect with them deeply and honestly, uh, and without the intention of just seeing them as dollar signs, right? Uh, I think you build. You build that community that will stay with you forever that will feel connected to you and feel connected to each other
0: Ooh, i love that we're going to build on that next round of questions uh because i really totally agree and and that's a very important point to uh really go into but uh, i want to get everybody a chance here and so brian uh enter the haggis like i said you guys have been around a while which means you're doing well like you must be having a career you're still here you're still doing it um, it's one commend you cuz it's so hard to keep a band together over time and 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 still going so so congrats on that um, can you t- give us a bit of your story in what you're finding is working in in getting revenue like how are you building it where it's a sustainable career cuz i that's really what it's about is how can i be an artist and be sustainable like i want to be here 10 years later i want to be here 20 years later and still doing my craft so uh if you can share a bit of that story that'd be great
3: sure thing um so i mean a lot of what adam said rings true for me and adam and i have played shows together probably over the last 15 years i don't even know how many shows in venues all over the us um yes. and his connection with his fan base is is legit and it's it's similar to the kind of connection that we always tried to build with our fan base, where you stay after every show and shake every hand pre COVID. Now there's a lot of, you know, fist bumps um, and sign every CD and remember people's names. And, you know, it's, it's really wild. Cause you know, I've been, as I said, playing with this band for 22 years. And so I have things happen to me now. Like there was a woman at a show in Buffalo recently who came up and said, you know, I was at a pub show in Buffalo 20 years ago tonight. And I went into labor at your show and had to get rushed to the hospital. And this is my 20 year old daughter here at the show with me now today, you know, like to see those kinds of those milestones in people's lives over the course of a long career is really special. And it really is kind of uh, indicative of the kind of fan base that you can build over that kind of uh, extended time period. And like, and, uh, we talk a lot about, about- um, about trying to, as Adam said, find new and creative ways to, uh, to build a career by monetizing a fan base in a community that's that dedicated to you. And you can only really do it if you have that personal connection. You know, you can't run a Kickstarter successfully. um, If you don't have a personal connection with a fan base, you can't crowdfund an album if you don't have a personal connection with a fan base. You can't do the things that like, you know we run fan trips over to Ireland and Scotland and bring you know we've brought as many I don't recommend this but we brought as many as 200 people with us on one of those trips and five bus loads of people trekking around Ireland and descending on seaside villages and eating all the fish chowder in the county and like a swarm of haggis head locusts going across the countryside but uh you know you can't do that kind of thing if all you are is a name on the spine of a CD on somebody's shelf, like you need to have a personal connection. So, um, and there's no shortcut to that really. You know, like you have to actually stay and shake hands and have conversations with people. I mean, we did an entire crowdfunded album, uh, which we based entirely on stories that our fans wrote on paper letters and mailed to us, like the craziest story from their own life. And we wrote a whole album based around those stories. And it's really cool you know now we see those people at shows and we play the song on stage that was inspired by their story that they sent to us and uh, there's there's kind of no substitution for that kind of a connection and you know i was actually looking up some stats before getting on here today because i was curious to see you know kickstarter in particular kickstarter kickstarter campaigns have raised something like seven billion dollars since kickstarter launched but the flip side of that is that they've had 56,213 campaigns launched that never made a single dollar. And you can't just assume that uh, that kind of DIY success, that kind of um, crowd funded, crowd supported success is a given. You know, it depends on the kind of a connection that you've managed to forge with the audience who's into your music and into the community that you've built. So, uh, I think Adam and I, we, we share a lot of the same views on that. And, uh, we've been really, really lucky to build that kind of community of amazing people all across the world.
0: Amazing. Uh, again, you, you, you said a lot of the same kind of things that I want to touch on the next round of questions, because it is so much about the people it, it is so much about your fans. And, and I think that that's a common story always. Um, thank you so much for that, Brian. And uh, man, 200 people going around Ireland. Like I've been <laughs> to Ireland a lot. I know what Ireland's like, that must have, there's probably a lot of stories from from that trip, I bet. There
3: are well, there are. But the crazy thing is, you know, because there were so many people on that trip it was five busloads of people. So there was there was people who came with us for the week who I didn't even meet you know, over the course of the week. So now when we do those trips, we tend to limit it to at most two buses, but ideally one bus. Um, And actually House of Hamble, my other band with my wife Rose, we're doing two trips uh, this year and limiting each to one bus instead of doing one trip with two buses, because that way you get more face time with people, you can have more real experiences with people. And, uh, you know, if you have that kind of connection with your fan base, I do recommend looking into that kind of experiential uh, revenue stream because it also makes it easier you know we show up in in ireland and we can contact a legit rock club in galway and say hey we want to bring 50 hard drinking american tourists uh to play at your club um you don't have to pay us just provide us with some backline gear and it's a tuesday you know and we get to play a great show in a great club play for some locals but like you know it, it can kind of be a shortcut to get g- giving you a bit of a bump in places where you never thought you'd get to go wow
0: right so i bet that was maybe the rochine dove in it uh, was Galway. Yeah. it was yep. yeah i've had shows there too uh great place yeah. thank you for that Ryan. uh julian uh let's let's hear from you because i you've you've been listening in i know but uh you know what's your story in you know go, you've had that signed artist experience and and uh we know uh, often people think, oh, that's the golden <laughs> ticket. Everything's paid for. Uh, everything's loaned for is usually what that means. Uh, so uh, can you talk about that a little bit, like going transition, like signed label back to DIY? Like, how? how what's your story how about it?
4: Well, yeah, I mean, when uh, in 2001, when we put out our first record, uh, you're right, it, it, you, when you get into that situation, and especially at that time, it, did feel like the golden ticket. We were quite young, just out of high school uh, and signed to a major label and put out a major label release. And it went well at first. And then obviously the industry changed. Napster came around pretty quickly. And I remember going from one side of the country to the other and there were reps taking care of us. And then on the way back, they had all been fired. So it was a really interesting time in the industry. And I, I think getting dropped was actually, now that I look back on it, even though it really hurt my uh my my feelings um it was probably a really good thing that happened because at that point in time the the industry was changing and you know I, I'm one of those type of people like you know um like both Adam and Brian who will probably just hop into a van and sell records out of my car anyway um and that's what we were doing before we got signed so um we had to go back to in and relearn, all the things that might actually get us to move forward. And that meant uh, registering our own business, which I hadn't done because I was 19 at at the time. And and it was the first time that I'd I'd done that. We registered our own business and and, and the band became a business. And um, one person uh, in the band booked all the shows. Another person, I called all the radio stations. Another person called all the press. And then the other friend of ours took care of the books. And we had to learn together as we were going along. And that was easily 20 years ago. So um, that was such a, a wonderful sort of lesson and do it, your, it, it yourself. Um, I sort of recommend it for anybody, really, uh, to be honest. But the idea of trying to build a community at that time was really difficult for us because what had happened was we didn't start that way. We had We had basically fans that weren't really our fans. They had just heard of us do you know what i mean and so we were cl- cl- trying to climb our way back slowly in an industry that really didn't want to have us anymore uh, mm. and because the industry didn't want to have us we had no real fans uh we had a few and they've stuck with me for 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 the last 20 years and, and that's been cultivated for a really long time but i realized um and i i think that you know, Brian's right, and so is, so is Adam. Every time we played a show, we would stay behind, and I would stay behind and, and sign autographs and say hello to people uh, and and really try to get to know the community of, of people that were coming to see us, even if it was just a small handful of people, because that's what happened. Um, in terms of, of radio promotion, I, uh, I was the one that called every radio station myself. And in, in 2005, here in Canada, we ended up with the, like the, the fifth most played indie song on radio and that was because again cultivating those relationships this time it wasn't necessarily with the fans it was with people at the radio stations that i would call and go see when we popped into town because that's how i thought it was to be to be built uh and and certainly since then it's it's been cultivating relationships within the, in the industry that's helped me stay alive um but mostly the thing that's made like help me stay alive is uh due diligence tenacity hard work and, and making sure that the music itself is honest and when it's really authentic and personal absolutely that's the only thing that's really i can only say that's if there is a blueprint that might be it is make sure what you're turning out is really honest and true to your, your yourself and that will connect with other
0: people at least that's the hope but that's maybe the blueprint if there is I love it. Yeah, so there's there's really like this ongoing theme I've been sort of talking about kind of like over the last few years, especially during COVID, right? And I often, okay, so I want to step back a bit because often when I'm talking to artists, they want the, hey, how do I get to Z? Like, I I want to go A to Z now, like not steps in between. Uh, Cutting corners, I find just, does not make it like uh, if you try to be like, Hey, how do I get there and try to do the quick way I've seen people dump a pile of money into a project and think, Hey, I'm putting all this money in. It's going to double coming out. Nope. No fans equals no money. Um, so the common theme I'm sort of hearing and the phrase I've been using, and it's actually from the web world. And this is like pre-social is people add value. And if you think of it, You know, all the online tools we use, why are we thinking, should I be on TikTok? Oh, there's how many people on TikTok? I guess I should be on TikTok. Should I be on YouTube? Well, how many people are on you? So people add value, and that's it. If you think of, like, the social media platforms themselves, they've built a community, and we want to be there because there's people there. So let's let's sort of talk about that. And like you already sort of touched on how important it is to make that connection. But the uncomfortable side is the truth is we want to build an audience so that there's people buying our stuff, buying tickets. Like, you know, to kind of put it bluntly, with a couple artists that I was talking to before, it's like, well, how do how do I how do I make money? Sell tickets. Uh, okay, well, how do I make more money? Sell shirts to the people that bought the tickets. Like, ultimately, we have to do commerce here. Um, so can we sort of talk a little bit about that being that authentic artist self, but there's that uncomfortable, oh, I got to sell stuff. And and sometimes we, we feel like there's this weird sort of like, I feel guilty trying to go, could you buy my CD and stuff? So uh, I know it's an uncomfortable kind of thing to go with, but ultimately, that's where the money comes from, is from people. So Adam, uh, could you sort of chime in a little bit on this conversation? Cause it's like, it's a tough artist thing, not wanting to be the selling person as well. It is
2: so difficult. It is so difficult. And as much as it's important, as much as, I mean, I've always been a believer. If you, build, if you build the community, the money will come, Um, uh, but, uh, as much as that is my theme I to this day worry about money every single day and every single meeting that I have with our agent and every time we're planning strategy for the next year it the 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 cruel irony of deciding to be an artist is you're starting a business and that sucks it fucking sucks uh it really does and there's just no two ways about it um but i will uh i'll i'll give one example and uh you know and i and i do think that myself and brian and julian we're we're kind of the uh an exception a little bit most of the artists you all have heard before they've developed their community have often had a wonderful opportunity to really get them out into the world and uh and that is an incredible gift if you get that do not squander it um uh uh, and if in and if you don't have that barring that it is a long and arduous hard road and there's no two ways about it and if you if you ain't committed to being on that hard road if there's not a part of you that is like i'll be that artist in that bar i don't care you know i'll play where i have to be and in 20 years from now if i'm still playing in that bar i'm still the artist that i want to be i think that you need to be committed to that and uh and uh and that's a really tough pill to swallow especially early on in a career I would say. Um, I'll give you one example, though, of a way that um, that we created um, uh, an income stream that I think is unique, that I'm proud of, that also really values people over money, yet still, that still generates money. Because it is a really, Daryl, it's a really fine line. There are so many, I get so turned off by so many artists that are just constantly Asking for support, support, support. And I think that the key to really gaining traction is that you're not following a band because you want to support them. You following a band because you love their music and you're excited and you want to be on board. And it's like, oh, you don't want them asking for money on stage. You don't want them at constantly. So one thing that we've done to kind of circumnavigate that, and it is a controversial practice. Um, but, uh, uh, at our shows, we have a lot of, we invest a lot in having a lot of merch. And in fact, we also record every single show in real time. We sell thumb drives of that show at the end of the show, but every single night on stage, I am sure I make sure to say this, uh, we recognize that there it's tough times for a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us. I've been to more shows than not when I haven't been able to afford to buy the merch at the end of the show. Uh, And we are so honored that you are here and you are part of our community. At the end of the night, I'm gonna be over at that table. I would love to meet you, I'd love to hang out. Um, And don't let money stop you from taking home a souvenir tonight. You pay whatever you want, pay whatever you can. And if your pockets are empty, please help yourself to anything on that table for free. And, uh, and, and and that is the messaging that I constantly want to keep pounding away at with our community, that you are more valuable than your money and the money comes. And because of that, I think our merch numbers, ironically, are super high. Um, and uh, And when you're letting people pay less than for items, you may make less per unit, but if if people are excited and not feeling like they're being sold to, um, they're more apt to wanna to pick something up. And so my my mission is get stuff in the hands of people. If it's free, great. If they're paying for it, great. And at the end of the day, I think relative to other bands who don't practice the same thing, uh, our merch numbers are very, very strong.
0: Yeah, you know what? Uh, you reminded me of a story with an artist I worked with. Uh, Terry McBride was in town for a conference. And if some people might know Terry McBride, uh, but like he managed Sarah McLaughlin, some 41, you know, yeah, ran network records, kind of did stuff, and uh, had him talk to an artist that I was working with in development. And uh is he like he had five minutes in between talking at session a to session b and he goes here's what i would tell you you're about to go on tour don't put a price on your merch and what you want especially when you're going out there starting is you want everybody to go home with your music ask them to pay what they can what they think is how much they're they're, they think it's worth and uh he said, you'll find more people will walk away with your music, which means there's a better chance they're going to come back the second time and tell people about it. So that's marketing. Uh, but there's going to be the people that pay $20 and you might have priced it at 10. And there's going to be people that pay five and you price it at 10. So think about that balance $10 up or $5 down, it eventually ends up. And uh, by they were going across Canada, then down the west coast to LA cross back states, they were sold out by Edmonton. And, and so, uh, and they made uh, more than what they thought they were going to make at what they were thinking of pricing it at so pay what you can is a good thing sometimes uh, because everybody goes away and that's where you build relationships because they'll come back. So I agree to that. That, that's it's you got to go in faith a little bit because the, your the automatic thought is what if nobody pays for anything and they all walk away with it I've got nothing left to
2: sell um, then I'm great able- then great then then you have you have gifted an entire audience with something that they will treasure. If you don't make any money on that merch that night, great. They are all All grateful grateful. for getting to take away a souvenir that means something to them. They're with you. you. And if you're going to be an indie artist, you got to be committed to playing the long game.
0: True, true. We've already seen that in the chat, too. It's a marathon. Um, Awesome. I want to turn it to Brian now as well. Like um, Turning that you know, fan to buying stuff. You've done it through experiences, which is Mm -hmm. great. Now, when you first did that experience of busing people, like, hey, let's all go to a different country. That's not a small price tag. Um, That's like, like that's really diving into selling something. Um, How did you do that the first time? Because that's got to be a lot of faith in in uh okay guys let's rent five buses in a different country and uh, (laughs) well thankfully
3: thankfully we weren't responsible for taking care of all the logistics there's a tour company based in albany new york that had done these kinds of trips for a couple of bands already when we heard about it um As you may have guessed, those of you who are are watching and aren't aware of my band, Enter the Haggis, you might guess from the name that we are a Celtic-infused kind of a band. We've got a bagpipe player, I play fiddle, Um, and we came up through, you know, where a lot of bands come up through grungy bars and rock clubs, we came up through a lot of Irish pubs all over the place. Um, And that's where we kind of got our start, that in like Irish festivals and Scottish festivals, and we still play a lot of those. It's a surprisingly big and robust underground scene, uh, especially in the US. Um, And so for us, we had a little bit of a cheat card because we're already reaching out to people through, uh, through sort of a cultural identity. And it's pretty easy to sell all of those people, most of whom have some Irish blood or some Scottish blood or something on the idea of, finally taking that bucket list trip. And I mean, everybody in the world who I've ever spoken to has has a bucket list idea of going to Ireland and sitting in an Irish pub and listening to a session by the Pete fire and sipping on Irish whiskey. Like it's, it's not a hard sell. Um, we put together these trips and these itineraries that, uh, are equal parts sort of, You know, going to do some of the tourist things, going to the Cliffs of Moher, going to Blarney Castle, going, you know, seeing these amazing things that everybody wants to see. And then on top of that, also having some shows, but even just, you know, bringing my fiddle case to a bar and sitting down with the local musicians and jamming while people get to kind of be there for that experience. So for us, it's a slightly easier sell than if you are an indie EDM artist trying to sell your fans on an idea to go to Ireland with you, you know? Um, We did try to do a a similar fan trip to Germany and completely (laughs) fell flat, we had to cancel it. Um, We tried to build a trip around a festival that we were hired to play in Germany. And, you know, this is probably a year after we sold 200 tickets to Ireland and we had to cancel the Germany trip because we had 13 people signed up and it just wasn't economically feasible to make it happen. So. Some of our success has been identifying, you know, what kind of an experience will the fans of our band want to have? Um, We also did this year for the first time, and I can't take credit for this idea because we, we stole it 100% from Adam with his blessing. Um, But we did a Camp Haggis at Lake Maury Resort in Fairleigh, Vermont, and had about 220 people over the course of the weekend come for this getaway where we played every night and we sold it as sort of like, come to camp with us, we're going to do you know, games and bingo and karaoke and watch movies together in the theater and do all of these things. And, you know, when we sold the trip, we were also talking about pickup hockey on the lake and, you know, real kind of Canadian experiences. Unfortunately, the lake didn't freeze, so we didn't get to do any of that stuff. But uh, we got that idea. And again, we knew that our fans, a lot of them are people who like going to festivals and camping out. And, um, people who would be into this kind of uh an immersive community based experience and we Adam Adam's trip was or Adam's camp was the week before ours at the same resort and we basically just lifted the whole idea from him so um he's probably even better to talk about this than I am but yeah it's yeah, uh, it's it's, tough. it's ha- tough yeah every fan base has its own um unique characteristics and you really need to have an understanding of what kind of people are into the music that you're creating and into the community that you're creating in order to figure out how to market things to those people. You know, there's plenty, and as Adam said too, for every every idea that you have that is is a success like that, you probably have 10 that fall flat or never get off the ground to begin with. So, you know.
0: Agreed, agreed. And I'll just add one point to the, that. Uh, and I was trying to do this with one band and then they break it up before we're able to do it, but creating things that you can repeat like annual, Hey, make sure you get your tickets next year. You know, like, Hey, we sold out this year. Um, I often relate, uh, like we're, I'm Canadian. So I think hockey, it's the playoffs right now. They happen every year. And like right now, holy crap, Toronto made it to the second round. What? So people get excited every year for this. And they buy like, the hockey tickets and like, there's people standing outside in the cold, outside of the arena, the, the game's not even in Toronto. There's people in the arena, watch it on, like it's, they build excitement. So if you can create something that you can repeat, it actually is easier to sell the second time, third time, because people want to be part of the experience. And, and I gotta say, Brian, thank you for bringing up experience, because that's a lot of what we're doing is what is the experience? That's the value that a lot of people are willing to pay for.
3: And when, when crowdfunding launched, like the first person that I heard of doing a crowdfunding campaign was, and I can't remember his name now, but he was the drummer for perfect circle. uh, There was this like kind of viral thing on the internet before Kickstarter existed where this guy he put together all these crazy experiences and it was a cascading thing where, you know, you could just get a CD or you could get a CD and a t-shirt or you could get a CD and a t-shirt and do mushrooms with Danny Carey from tool and ride around in his Lamborghini for a day. Or you could get a CD and a t-shirt and take this guy out to Panda express and buy him lunch. You know, there was, and that was what kind of got the attention more than just the fact that this guy, nobody really knew by name, this drummer from a bunch of, of heavy bands, was releasing an album like, and it did really, really well. He raised a ton of money by selling the experiences and making that sort of part of the story. And uh, I think most successful crowdfunding campaigns to this day include some element of that kind of experiential thing. Can uh, I
2: chime we, in for just yeah. just one second, Daryl? There was something,
3: oh, oh,
2: i sorry. Let's I'm hold sorry. on that
0: thought because I want to get Julian in here. Uh, sure. Just, let's hold on it. We'll get no to problem, it. No
2: problem,
0: Daryl. Uh, And I do want to say, like, I worked for like Live Nation as a freelancer for like a long time, and I got to say, a lot of the assets I was creating was for the VIP, the all access to the super VIP to the platinum, they're kings of trying to sell every type of experience possible. But yes, Adam, we'll get back to you. But Julian, I wanted to let you chime in on, you know, taking it from fan, but to monetizing and and selling because it's a tough thing as an artist to sell what you're doing
4: yeah, no, it's super tricky. Um I've tried some of the experiences myself, and I think what it comes down to uh, it really is the personality type of the artists themselves. um for me i've I've I have a hard time uh, I feel like a lot of my my personal stuff is put into my work in, in into the songs that I'm creating. And this new world is 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 a little bit daunting to me to, to be honest. I don't you know people around me say oh you got to share this about your life and you got to share this about your life and you have to invite people into your uh your life i felt like i did a lot of that during the pandemic when i couldn't play live i i, I used to joke that you know with people uh, like you know i've people have seen me in every room of my house except for the tiniest one which is the bathroom right and uh should i do i've run out of staging <laughs> so i've invited people into into that part of my life and i i remember that you know showing pictures of my daughter and my my family and my dog and things like this and and inviting people into my personal spaces is, is is has become rather difficult for me um and so i did try patreon patreon and and stuff like that the upkeep for that's really difficult it's a it's a content world that we're living in so for me it's 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 quite tricky um i i can he- i hear what what you know what brian's saying uh, and I really, uh, I find it admirable and, and, and very inspiring, same with Adam. I'm sort of at a crossroads trying to figure this out as an artist. How am I supposed to continue uh, building a bridge between myself and, and, and the fans, which is my community, with at the same time being able to have a life of my own? Mm-hmm. and that's I find that very very tricky I do believe in 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 the whole merch idea I, I can I can tell you that when I'm out on my own and I just leave a, a big jar, glass jar on the on the merch table and, because I'm performing sometimes I can't be there I'll say I like like Adam says I'll be right there to the merch table but if I'm not there and I'm performing and and, and whatnot by all means take whatever you want donate whatever you can uh you'll you'll be surprised at some, that those are the nights where i've actually sold the most merch and made the most money uh uh conversion i guess is what you want to call it um so it's 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 very tricky I, I think that um if you are the type of artist who feels comfortable inviting people into your personal space and your personal life that it can work and this 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 sort of um social media landscape after the last few years is, is is built for people like that um it's, it's a little trickier for people i really uh, admire and again inspired about by both the uh, ideas of camp you know i i there was a long time ago when i wanted to do something like that and then all of a sudden things closed down and stuff like that so it's nice to try to revisit i've gone up to camps um like camp Ooch, where you know and done workshops with the kids there and, and things like that but that's a, a, a children's camp for kids that have cancer, and they're still not opening it up to everybody because, and for obvious reasons. Um, so I think that for me, trying to find that balance is, is in this world is considerably trickier than I thought it would be. I, I feel like I, I work really hard on on trying to share with people what's in my heart and be honest and true through my music. And a lot of times you you feel like that should be enough but in order to what they want to say convert a conversion it doesn't seem to be i don't know if that's any help but i'm just sort of being a a devil's advocate on on the way that this world is sort of uh built for people at the moment no Mm.
0: and i i appreciate that because that's where there is no blueprint because everybody's different and every artist is different like one doesn't necessarily work for everybody. So I really appreciate that type of perspective, you know? Uh, So thank you, Julian, for that. Uh, Adam, you had a point.
2: Uh, I did, and I also just wanna say how much I love hearing those thoughts from you, Julian, because uh, you, you, you are totally right. Brian and I are a very specific kind of artist. For instance, I have live-streamed from my bathroom, believe it or not. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and I have, uh, to me, letting my audience see the parts of me that I'm not comfortable with, that I'm embarrassed by. I will play songs that aren't finished. I will play, and it is my art form to uh to share to share the messy dirty side of me with everybody but that is my art form and there are so many other art forms in the music world and it really is if you are a beautiful man i wish i had a better voice i wish i was a better player i wish i was better in the studio and uh and there are artists out there that that's what their thing is and uh and it is so hard in this world right where the quality of videos on that are being shared on 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 reels and on tick tock or whatever right if you want your quality to be up here it is so hard to be Continuing to come out with content and being as connective as the world is telling you to be right now. So Julian, I totally feel where you're at right now. I think that that is, uh, like a super honest, and uh, and uh, and probably something that connects with a lot of people that are that are watching right now. Um, uh, and and it's a huge it's a huge challenge. Uh, and, and I feel for you on that for sure. Um, and it's tough for me too. It is It is tough for me too. Uh, I also just wanted to add to something, Brian was talking about a lot of uh, um, experiential adventures we are creating with our fan community, he was talking about. And now you gotta understand that uh, Enter the Haggis is a phenomenon uh, and they have created an incredible fan base over 20 years and they are willing to do pretty much anything i mean literally they could do a trip also in my bathroom and 200 people would show up and just be there and squeeze in there and hang out for seven days uh that's they would do that and uh but for a lot of y'all on the zoom uh, these trips that brian and i have been talking about that kind of thing they're expensive right and 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 if you are a bunch of stages back there and you don't have fans that are ready to throw down hundreds of dollars to go to Ireland or to go to a resort with you for a weekend. Um how do you make how do you how do you make this how do you make these goals attainable? And I only wanted to add to what Brian was saying is that these experiential things don't have to be about money at all. You plan a show you know, I'm going to be, at, I'm going to be at the, uh, and again, this is not, if you're feeling the way Julian is feeling and, and you'd rather have a little more distance from you personally, then, then this won't be for you. But, you know, you could have a bowling night, you know, you could have, we, we went apple picking with our fans a couple of years ago in New England. Uh, no money. You're just, you just, you show up and you do a thing and you can do that. You can do that online too. You can have people ask you about your music uh, and uh, and you can answer them. You can have people send in your questions and then you can do something online where you're just answering those, those questions If you, and, and you can prepare those answers if you don't wanna be put on the spot. There are a million different ways that you can offer non-traditional connection points. Uh, and, and, and maybe some of those connection points uh can feel personal on a level that's comfortable to you you know maybe they can be sharing some studio work maybe they can be sharing some demos uh with just different hey show up show up here and we're gonna we're gonna listen to this new song that i just recorded and i haven't shared with anyone yet come sit around with me and and we'll do it or i'll be playing it I'll be playing it online. I'll be live streaming a session and, and just come join me if you want. Um, these are smaller ways to create this experience of connecting in a different way.
0: I, I totally agree with that. And uh, like I'm old school, like old, I used to work at HMV. There used to be listening parties before albums came out. Yeah. And sure. create the experience before the album came out. So if anybody came in the store and said, hey, have you heard of I remember one specifically, Moist, which is a Canadian band. And I'm like, yeah, I just was at a listening party and they were there. And I got to meet them. It comes out in a month, and and we sold it. We were the ones selling it to people coming into the store. So building experiences, uh, man. I feel that this session we could probably talk for like three hours on on this type of topic, and and we may we might need to do a part two sometime in the future on this. Uh, but I want to give Brian and Julian quick uh chance to do last comments and, and such like any last tip advice for an artist right now uh what can they do like a takeaway right now to move forward
3: well i'll jump in first don't count on spotify to build a career for you um we make more money selling cds at shows even today even when nobody owns a cd player anymore than we've ever made off of spotify Um, and we have decent Spotify numbers, not any, you know, and I mean, that would be my second point is you need to define what success is to you and understand that like none of the three of us, as far as I know, are making, you know, the kind of money that a lawyer would make, or, you know, the kind of money that a really, a really good contractor would make probably. And we do live paycheck to paycheck, even after 22 years on the road, Um, you know, we're still always having a hustle and always having to figure out what the next gig's going to be, what the next experience is going to be. And, you know, making a living for in in enter the haggis, like it's a crew of seven or eight people. um, And all of those people are depending on the business to succeed enough that they can continue to pay their bills and pay their mortgage and, and feed themselves. But like, I'm still playing some of the same venues that I was playing 20 years ago in some of these markets. In some places we have identified the crowd of people who like what we do and there are exactly 400 of them and it's been that way for 20 years. So the trajectory isn't necessarily always bigger and better and bigger and better and bigger and better to the point where you're playing in arenas. You You can have a successful career if you identify who that tribe is and reach them and connect with them and stick with them for the long term. Um, but that career might not look the way you think it will, um, it might just be, you know, small pockets, but a hundred of them instead of one giant pocket. So I guess my, my, as Adam said in the chat, it's a long game. If you want to be an independent musician and you want to make a living outside of the traditional music industry, it's possible, but it's, um, it's very different from the traditional major label MTV uh, experience that that existed 20 years ago when we all started out.
0: Much agreed. Thank you so much, Brian, for that. Cheers. And uh, I got to say, when you when you know your fan base is there, that's where you can build that sustainability uh, because you can count on it. They're there for you. That And that 400 people in that same venue, you, you can count on that. Uh, so that's a very important point. Uh, Julian, uh, what sure. would you artists right now what can they do to kind of get on the path
4: I think one of the things that I've learned from that an extension of what we've been talking about and that tribe is that there are people within that tribe that uh, have come to be real supporters of my music not just the music but my entire career so much so that those core people now are part of what I call my, my management team. They become part of the actual, some, some start as volunteers. Maybe they want to uh, help you sell merch at a show. Maybe they want to jump in the band and go to another gig with you. Um, Those, those cultivated friendships that start off as maybe, you know, people that you met at the merch stand or that came out to your show or, or something like that, they can, those, those people, become your nucleus your 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 real family family that can help you grow your career uh certainly the goal is to obviously you know make a living at this um but without a support system like a family you really have a hard time doing anything in this world and uh, i've come to realize that the people that are uh the closest to me with you know that i work with day by day by day those are the true fans that i made a long time ago and that i've made over the years that have just become part of the fold and i think that one of the things that any artist can do is identify those people Um, uh, because they they've certainly identified you and 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 if you can take those uh people and they can take you to where you need to go and that could be to the gas station you know what i mean like those are the people that you really need to 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 to, to rely on and that you should be able to rely on.
0: That's, that's I I still my agree with that. You know, like like you're building a different type of community. It's actually part of your team. Um, I worked with a, a industrial goth band um about 20 years ago, and one of the things I noticed, and this is what like early days of Facebook was one of the fans was wanting to get into fashion, and so I just saw like she was doing like all this goth kind of clothing, and I'm like, could you take our T-shirt? And modify it and we'll pay you for it. And she's like, sure. So she turned them into like it cut the tops off, put lace on it, uh, zebra print, tiger print, all this purple, red, blah, blah. Everyone was unique. So we were able to take that shirt from a $15 shirt, yeah, to a $50 shirt. You know? So so you could definitely, and and she became more engaged. She became part of the team. So I, I totally agree with that, Julian. Like that's awesome uh, to build that type of support. It, it's now they want to see success as a part of the success. Um, very cool. Um, we're already out of time. Like this is crazy. We could talk forever. Uh, Adam, do you have one quick last point?
2: Um, I just uh, I wanted to say that uh, that there are no right answers. One of the one of the one of the challenges listening to a panel. Uh, or, or or coming to a conference uh, like Indie One On One is is to feel like you're walking away with like oh, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this and 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 that's overwhelming. Uh, uh, you know, think about who you are as an artist, who you want to be. Take one step forward. Take one step forward, and tomorrow you're going to be able to wake up and take another step forward, and uh, and. Uh, And man, I promise you, that's still how I feel every single day, and it's how you're going to feel every single day. And it's part of being an artist, uh, and it's part of making your art your livelihood, is that there's way more that you need to do than you can do. And uh, keep finding ways to be creative and trust in your own instincts. because like we started with in this panel, there aren't any right answers.
0: Awesome, awesome. I think that's the best way to leave this. Adam, thank you so much for framing that. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for everybody. Uh, we really wanted to present this because uh, and even like in our planning and scheduling is like, this is a good time of the day to kind of like, ah, uh, okay, yes, breathe artist creativity, business, it's really stuck hard to take it. And I really appreciate you saying about going to a conference can be overwhelming itself. So much information. Take a break after like I I often like after a conference, I take one or two days just to digest everything and kind of like, all right, what am I going to actually put to use here Uh, and try to do follow-ups. Now, with that said, we're diving right back in, uh, playlisting and PR is next with CD Baby. Part of the game is is uh getting on those playlists. So we're gonna talk about that next. So uh thank you everybody. And uh who knows, might hit you guys up for a part two sometime in the future, because uh this was awesome. And I think we could dive deeper even next time. Thank you so much. Cheers. All right, thanks nice
4: guys. The next nice to meet you, Adam. Nice to meet you, Brian.
1: Yeah, likewise. See thank you guys. You, you thank great. Julian,
0: Brian, thanks, Adam.
1: All right. So that does it for another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast. We Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. And if you enjoyed these conversations that we share here on the podcast, then I think you would really love coming to the Indie Weekly webinars. Throughout the year, we're having them every Tuesday. They're always at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That's like New York or Toronto time. And it's all about high level conversations, bringing in experts from all facets of the music and related industries to share their experiences, best practices, tips, advice, really actionable advice with artists. It's all about helping artists boost their own careers, but it's also about community, connecting with each other, connecting with the guests, connecting with Daryl Herz, uh, who always hosts. And best of all, it's free. So go to IndieWeek.com, hit the Indie Weekly tab at the top of the page and see what's coming up. I think you'd really enjoy it, certainly worth your time. We'd love to see you there. And last, but certainly not least, before we go, just one more shout out and thank you to our wonderful sponsors and funders. Uh, those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Bandzoogle, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SEMA the SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlantic Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. So without the support of all of them, us here at Indie Week, we couldn't do what we do to help out and work for the music community. So big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good one.